Good morning, friends. Do we need a miracle? Maybe you've heard statements like this before. Nothing short of a miracle will get us out of this. Or we need a miracle. Or way back in the Olympics when the United States won the hockey uh, championship one year. Do you believe in miracles? And on and on and on. Well, friends, if you read and study Joshua chapters 5 and 6 long enough, you will discover roughly five steps to a miracle. Now, in putting the matter that way, I'm not suggesting that if we just take these five steps that automatically God will work a miracle for us. At the same time, I would suggest that these steps reveal how God works with his people even in 2021, even in the midst of all this stuff we're going through. And they are as true today as they were in Joshua's day. Now, here's step number one, and we're going to get into this story now. But yield your right to be in charge. Now, to understand this story, we need to start with a kind of a strange encounter recorded at the end of Joshua chapter 5. We're going to pick this up in verse 13, where it says, Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Now, i got to tell you that if I ran into a guy holding a sword in his hand, I might be prone to ask the same question. Are you with me or are you against me? It seems kind of like a natural question. Now, here's the rest of the story, picking up again, verse 14. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, we tend to do a lot of thinking today in terms of us versus them. You know, are you Republican or are you Democrat? Are you red or are you blue? Are you conservative? Are you liberal? Are you vaccine or no vaccine? Or are are you on my team, go big red, or some other team? Are you for us or against us? We all like to think we're on the right team, but God doesn't join human teams. In this case, Joshua met the commander of the army of the Lord, possibly a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Now, note how Joshua responds here. He falls on his face and asks what message the Lord has for him. He doesn't ask, how can we win this battle? How can we bring down these walls? Uh, All those human considerations go out the door when we come face to face with the Lord of the universe. And so that brings us to a key message in the book of Joshua. God's work must be done God's way in order to receive God's blessing. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I have repeated that statement. See, every Christ follower would agree with that. But when facing a crisis, we want to tell God how to answer our prayers. But friends, it doesn't work that way. At some point, we just need to yield to the Lord. Now, I say at some point because yielding doesn't come easily to most of us. Now, how often have we sung this song? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting yielded and still. Now, i got to tell you, it's one thing to sing it, and I like singing that song, but it's another thing to mean it. See, there is a place for the sword and the spear, and there is a time when we need to advance against the enemy. But first, we must learn this lesson. We learn this lesson from Proverbs 21, verse 31. 
The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. We can make all the plans in the world, but if God does not bless our efforts, it will come to nothing. So we don't need God on our side. We need to make sure we're on God's side, even before the battle begins. Now, here's step number two, face the challenge. Now, let's think about the city of Jericho for a moment. It's located not far from the river. There's an important point to keep in mind when you read the story of Joshua's amazing conquest. The Canaanites built Jericho as kind of a gateway fortress into their land. So any invading enemy would first have to cross the Jordan River and then deal with the walled city of Jericho. I mean, you don't bypass it. Jericho was just way too large, way too strong to be ignored. And what was Jericho to Joshua and the people of Israel? It was a city of pagan unbelief, a city of strategic importance, a city of human impossibility. And when we say that the people of Jericho were pagans, that's probably an understatement. The Canaanite religion included child sacrifice and gross sexual immorality, which sounds kind of familiar It could never coexist with the true worship of God. It needs to be confronted. It needs to be defeated. Now, archaeologists have done an enormous amount of research on the ruins of ancient Jericho. Now, we know that the city had two walls, an inner and an outer wall. It was built on a slope, making it virtually impregnable to an attacking army. I mean, the road to the promised land ran through Jericho. Now, stamp over it one word. Mission impossible. Well, that's two words. But here's number three. Follow the plan. Uh, Y'all know the story. And it's kind of an odd story indeed. March around the town once every day for three days or for for days. Uh, March with the Ark of the Covenant in, in front. Put seven priests in front of the Ark. On the seventh day, march around Jericho seven times. Have the priests blow ram's horns as they march. On the seventh time around, on the seventh day, have the people shout. And when the people shout, the walls will come down. And when the walls come down, enter the city and conquer it. Now, if that does not sound crazy enough, Joshua added a few refining details to the plan. One, he instructed the people to be silent as they marched around the city. Two, he put soldiers in front of the priests and behind the ark. And three, he had the priests blow the ram's horn, the shofar, continually. Now, at this point, the people of God face a pretty clear choice. Either they attempt to take the city by following God's instructions, or they come up with their own plan and suffer overwhelming defeat. It's all to their credit that they did what God asked them to do. Now, you all probably know the story. For six days, they marched one time around the city and then returned to their camp. On the seventh day, at the end of the seventh time around the city, the priests sounded a long blast, and the people shouted as loud as they could. Now, what are the chances of this working? I mean, here's the whole march. Here's the whole battle plan, friends. Marching, blowing horns, shouting. That's it. But the story isn't over yet. Here's number four. Remember the promise. What gave the people any hope of taking Jericho? The answer is pretty simple. They only had to remember the promise of God. Now, we get two hints of this in the story. First, God said he was going to give them the city. I mean, this is what God said to Joshua in in chapter 6, verse 2. This is before he ever gave him the plan. He said, see, I have delivered, past tense, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and his fighting men. Now, when God speaks, you can take it to the bank. That's what gave Joshua the confidence to follow God's plan. He knew God had guaranteed victory. All he had to do was obey what God called him to do. Now, second, God put himself in the middle of the battle plan. I don't know if you noticed that. 
By placing the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people, God was saying, I'm going to lead the parade. Now, I often wondered as a kid when I first heard this story, I thought, what are the people of Jericho thinking? Now, we already know from uh, Rahab's testimony in Joshua chapter 2 that they knew about the miracle at the Red Sea. They knew about the defeat of Sihon and Og, the Amorite kings. Furthermore, they could see for themselves that God had miraculously heaped up the water of the Jordan River, allowing the Jews to walk across on dry land. And see, the daily march around the city was kind of divine psychological warfare, if you will, to unnerve the citizens of Jericho. I mean, they knew an attack was coming, but they didn't know when. Now, I don't know about you, I'd have been probably shaking in my sandals, standing up on that wall. I mean, it must have been terrifying to watch the Jews march around the city day after day and then go back to their camp. But then you wonder, did the fear begin to wear after the third day? I mean, did the Canaanites start laughing and say, you know, look at this bunch of crazy Jews and their silent march around the city? Or, or was it kind of a, <laughs> a nervous laughter, wondering what would happen next? Now, although the people of Jericho did not know it, they were defeated before the walls ever fell. They lost the battle when God got involved. So let me redo that equation one more time. March plus trumpets plus shouting plus God equals the walls came tumbling down. You see, God made all the difference. The high walls couldn't keep him out. The God who created those stones could easily blow them over. Now, we don't know exactly how he did it, only that he did do it, and the city was then taken by Joshua and his people. Now, here's number five. Never give up. I mean, why march around the wall six days in a row? I mean, why march seven times on the seventh day? I mean, couldn't the walls have fallen on the first day or the third or the fifth? Well, the answer is yes. The walls could have fallen any time God wanted those walls to fall. So why all this marching? I think the answer is somewhat clear. This is how God ordinarily works. God could have said, sit tight, let me handle this. But his normal plan is to use people to accomplish his purposes. So even though God caused the walls to fall down, the people still had to march and shout. And when the walls fell down, they still had to take the city fighting door to door. Now imagine the scene again. It's the longest parade you've ever seen. I mean, first the soldiers, then the priests blowing the trumpets, priests with the ark, then more soldiers, then thousands upon thousands of armed men marching in total silence. I mean, this strange procession circles once around the city on the first day and then retires to their camp. Next day the same, next day the same, next day the same, next day the same, next day the same. And not only is there no substitute for obedience to God, but there is also no substitute for obedience in all particulars to the very end. And on the seventh day, the army marched around Jericho seven times. And this is what happened next, verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Wow, that's how faith works. But don't you think there were some doubters? Don't you think there might have been some critics in the ranks? Do you, do you think there was some grousing amongst the soldiers? Uh, probably because they're real people who were tramping around in the heat of the day after day after day. It was hot and dusty and frustrating, but they did it. And when they took this step of faith, God honored it and the walls of Jericho fell. Now, sooner or later, we're all going to end up facing a wall of impossibility. 
The bad news is it probably is impossible. The good news is that God loves to start with an impossibility. When God wants to do something big, he starts with something very small. When he wants to do the miraculous, he often starts with the impossible. See, we'd rather start big and go from there, but not so with our Heavenly Father. He starts with the impossible and then turns it into reality. And that brings me to my final point. The real battle of Jericho was not with the Canaanites. The real battle was in the hearts of the people of God. Would they believe what God had said? Would they risk public humiliation if the walls didn't come down? Would they do what seemed absurd, at least from a human point of view, in order to see God do the impossible? Well, if you jump into the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 says, The walls fell by faith. Did you get that? The walls fell by faith. How will we face and conquer our own walls of impossibility? Where do we find the faith? Well, if we move on to Hebrews chapter 12, we find the answer in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our, guess what? Our faith. Do you know the Old Testament name for Jesus? It's Joshua. Yeshua, that's right. The name Joshua means God saves in Hebrew. In Greek, it was shortened to Jesus or Savior. But the Old Testament Joshua points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who leads his people to victory. And so, my friends, keep your eyes on him. Look to him. Follow him wherever he leads. When King Jesus leads the ways, leads the way, the walls must come tumbling down. And this, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.